Welcome to episode number 190 of the Pioneering Today podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things, which involves canning and mason jars. But specifically, I'm going to be answering your questions revolving around pressure canning. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode and you're not on my email list, you might have missed where I have a very special free pressure canning video series that's available right now for you to watch. And we are having literally hundreds of people, actually we're in thousands now, going through it, which thrills my heart like none other because pressure canning is amazing. It opens up the door to you being able to can so many more foods than you can do with a water bath canner. So it gives you the ability to can your vegetables and meats and soups and broth And they are shelf-stable, meaning you don't have to do anything to them. They're just sitting on the shelf after they have been canned. And then you can go and grab them and heat them up and cook really fast for them. So it's one of my absolute favorite ways of food preservation. But I'm also having quite a few questions. So I thought I would take this time to go through some of the main questions that I see popping up in multiple places and answer them in regards to pressure canning because I figure you guys may have the same questions and now you'll have the answers as well. Now, to get access to this free video series, you go to melissaknorris.com forward slash pressure canning. So all one word, no dashes or anything, just melissaknorris.com forward slash pressure canning. And of course, you can go to today's show notes to get links to everything as well. And speaking of the show, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. If you're a brand new listener, I'm so thrilled to have you. Make sure that you hit subscribe because I'm pretty sure you are going to love the episodes and want to come back. If you're a longtime listener, my high five. Welcome back, my friends. My name is Melissa K. Norris, and the Pioneering Today podcast is where we focus on living homegrown and handmade, using modern homesteading to raise, preserve, and cook your own organic food no matter where you live. One of the first questions that I have come up a lot is, can you use an electric pressure cooker or an electric canner to pressure can? So of course, most people are very familiar with the Instapot and Ball actually has an electric water bath canner, but you cannot use those to safely pressure can. I believe there's also something on the market. I'm not actually familiar with what the brand name is, but it's a electric pressure device. And people have asked me about using that to canning. And where the confusion confusion tends to come in is there's two places. Just because it's cooking under pressure, if it's a pressure cooker like the Instapot, that doesn't mean that you can use it to pressure can. And there were some models that have been released or even advertised may have it in the manual that are electric pressure cookers that you are plugging in that had pressure canning information or may have been advertised that way. But when they went through third-party testing, meaning people who had no skin in the game and were not going to be making any money off them being sold, but went through third-party testing, they failed. And the reason that they failed is because one, a lot of them don't allow you to select the pounds of pressure. 
and you have to select the correct pounds of pressure when you're pressure canning. So if you live 1,000 feet or lower than that at sea level, then you will be using five pounds of pressure if you choose to use the pressure canner to pressure can some of your fruits and applesauce, which you can actually use a pressure canner to can different fruits. Now, most people choose to use a water bath canner, but you can technically can some of those in a pressure canner, but you're using five pounds of pressure. If you live, and this is where altitude is super important with your canning, so you need to know, if you live 1,000 feet or below that from sea level, so I should say up to 1,000 feet above sea level or lower, then your meats and your vegetables and combination recipes, so soups and broths and those type of things, you will be canning them at 10 pounds of pressure. If you live 1,001 feet or higher above sea level, then you are going to be increasing it by five pounds. So you would use 10 pounds of pressure for fruits and for everything else, vegetables, soups, broths, meats, that whole whole thing there, you're going to be doing it at 15 pounds of pressure. So it is very important when you are pressure canning that you select the correct pounds of pressure for the recipe and your altitude. And that's part of the problem with a lot of these electric pressure cookers. They do not give you the ability to actually pick the pounds of pressure that it's operating at. The other issue is if it does allow you to choose the pounds of pressure, it did not hold that pounds of pressure all the way through the processing or the cooking time. So that's what the third-party testing, which was actually done by the National Center of Home Food Preservation, which they have a website. You can go and read their article. I'll link to it in the show notes for today for more in-depth. But that is why it is not considered safe and or recommended, no matter what the manual says, to use an electric pressure cooker to pressure can in. And the reason for that And a lot of people have this question, which leads just so naturally into the next one, is when you are pressure canning, if your pressure falls below what the pressure needs to be for that recipe, so say you are canning green beans, and those need to be canned at my altitude because I am not over a 1,000 feet above sea level. We're kind of like right around probably about 300 feet above sea level at my house. So for green beans, I'm at 10 pounds of pressure. And for pints, I'm doing 20 minutes. And so my time when I'm operating my pressure canner, which I do go into this in detail and actually show you hands-on within that free video series, but you do not start your time until your pressure canner, but with your pressure canner, you don't start your time until it's actually at the pounds of pressure. So once it hits that 10 pounds of pressure, you put your timer on and it has to stay at that 10 pounds of pressure for the entire 20 minutes to ensure that any botulism spores or other forms of bacteria that could be present are totally killed. So if I was at minute 16 of canning my green beans and my pressure dropped below those 10 pounds, it dropped to nine pounds, eight pounds, six pounds, whatever. If it drops beneath that 10 pounds of pressure, then I have to start my time all over again. Because those times in those testings and what you see at those recipes, the time is very specific at it being at that 10 pounds of pressure for it to equal that temperature, which I believe is 248 degrees Fahrenheit at 10 pounds of pressure. Um, I have to double check that. I'm doing that from memory. So don't hold me to it, but it's pretty close if it's not exactly there. But under pressure is the key part. 
if you drop below it and it hasn't been at that temperature and pounds of pressure for the entire time, then you can't, then you're not insured that those spores were actually killed. They're only killed when they've been held at that temperature and pounds of pressure for the entire processing time. So that's the reason that if your pressure does drop when you're processing, you have to start over. It has to be a continual time at that pounds of pressure. And that's also why those electric pressure cookers failed to actually do pressure canning because they were not holding the pressure there the entire time. So if you know anybody who thought that they could pressure can in an electric pressure cooker, please, I would love it and adore it if you help me get the word out so that we have people doing it in a safe manner. And this is a great question. This actually first popped up inside the Pioneering Today Academy, which is my membership site, where the Home Canning with Confidence course that I have also is part of the academy, but you can get it independently. And that was one of our members who was using her pressure canner for the first time, which is super exciting. And she noticed some white deposits on the outside of her jar and on the inside of her canner. And this is usually from hard water or calcium, different minerals when you're using well water. And we are on our own well. That's the only water source that we have is our own private well. We're pretty rural, so there's no option. I'm actually really glad that we don't have the option of hooking up to city water because I don't have to worry about chlorine and different treatment things that they do to water like that. We, of course, have our well water tested to make sure that it's safe for us to drink. And it was, but we're on well water. So you can definitely use your well water when you're canning. It's all I've ever used for canning. And I've been canning on my own for over 20 years. And I grew up canning as well. But in my own household as a married lady, I've been canning for 20 years and only used well water. So you're totally fine to use your well water when you're canning. But if you've got a lot of minerals, especially calcium, in your well water, you may notice some deposits or some floating white little like dust looking particles after you have canned and you're pulling your jars out of the pressure canner left behind either on the outside of the jars or even inside the pressure canner. Your jars of food are totally fine if you see that. But if you want to avoid that, you can add a half a cup of vinegar to the water that you put in the canner when you are processing it. And that will help avoid those minerals and the calcium forming those little white powdery crystals and getting on everything. And it's also totally normal. This was another question. So when you first have your pressure canner and you get it, it's kind of that shiny or at least nice silver color. And when you operate it for the first time, unless you're doing something like tomatoes, but for pretty much any other thing that you're pressure canning, it will turn dark inside where the water was. So generally speaking, you're going to fill it to about two inches deep with water when you're pressure canning. You don't fill it all the way up like you do with a water bath canner. If you're new to pressure canning, you might not know that. That's another question that I've been asked. But you'll usually about two inches of water is what you put in there. Now, read the manual on your pressure canner. Some of my older pressure canner actually specified one and a half quarts of water inside, which equaled out to about the two inch line. My other All-American canner that I've got, which is a 21 and a half quart that allows you to double stack, that one says to put in two inches of water. Follow what your manual says, but I'm pretty sure it's going to equal out to about two inches of water. But after you process it for the first time, you're going to notice that it turns a really dark gray color. And you're going to be like, oh my goodness, it's not like pretty and silver inside. Is this normal? What's going on? It's totally normal. And as I said, you can throw some vinegar in there and that will help. 
And if you do a run of tomato product in there, the acid in the tomatoes during the canning process, some of it does leak out a little bit during processing and it will turn it silver again. But the very next time you use it for something that does not have tomatoes in it, it's going to do the same thing. It's going to turn that dark color up to whatever the water line that you had in there was. And it's totally normal. It's a sign that you are using your pressure canner. Consider it a badge of honor and high five, my friend. Now, speaking of being able to do double stacking in a pressure canner, if you've got a pressure canner, so as I said, I have two pressure canners. I have my older one that I've had for the 20 years that I've been married. That's a smaller model. And then I think it's probably been close to five years now. As my kids grew and I started canning more and more, I needed to do more at a time. We invested in the 21 and a half quart All-American canner. Now that 21 and a half quarts does not mean you can fit 21 quarts in it at a time to actually can. That's how much liquid that you could put inside of it. But what it does is it will hold seven quarts or I can double stack and do 19 pints at a time, So, which is fabulous. But I often get questions on double stacking. Do you need to increase the time and or increase the water that you put in the pressure canner when you're doing double stacking? And the answer is no. So you do need to use the rack. You always have a rack. Even when you're double stacking, you'll use that second rack. And I've got a video up on YouTube. So you can go to my YouTube channel and it's on raw pack canning green beans where I actually show what it looks like when you are double stacking. And the procedure that I use when you're double stacking your jars and pressure canning. So you can go and actually watch that in time and see that as well as you'll be able to watch inside the pressure canning series. At the time I made that, I actually did not have using for that run. I didn't have enough jars to pull out my big all-American one. So it's in the smaller one. But then you can see what both of those canners look like in action, the different sizes. And they also have different dials on them too. So you'll get to see both ways. Anyways, side note. But you do the same processing time when they are double stacked. So it's the exact same time. You don't need to do any adjustments. And it's the same amount of water when you're double stacking. You don't have to add any extra water in there when you are double stacking. But it's a great question and a good one to know. I often get asked as well about the type and the size of pressure canner that's best or what I recommend if someone's looking to purchase a new pressure canner. And I actually have an entire blog post written out with links to them on how to know because the answer is not as simple like this is the best one bar none because it depends on a couple of things. It depends on the size of your family, depends on your budget, and it depends on the type of stove that you have. So I will link in the show notes to this episode, which will be at melissakinoris.com forward slash 190 because this is episode number 190. So you can go and get a link to that article and read it more in depth. But I will talk a little bit about to it right now and here in the episode. If you have a glass stovetop, then there is only a couple of models that say they can be used on a glass stovetop. And a lot of it has to do with how the bottom of the pressure canner is, if it's flat, if it's rounded a little bit, and then the size as well. So you're not going to be able to use those really, my big heavy one, like where I can double stack on my big All-American. You're not going to be able to use that on a glass top for fear of breaking it. Now, I will say, Definitely look at what your stove manual says. And then I have linked to some of the pressure canners that say they can be used on glass top stoves. I did find a couple that said that specifically on them. I don't have a glass top stove. I just want to preface it with that. I have not canned on a glass top stove. I do have several people who are inside the Pioneer Today Academy and also within the Home Canning with Confidence eCourse 
that do have glass top stoves and they're just very careful when they're lifting it on and off and they can successfully on their glass top stoves. So you're going to want to definitely make sure you're checking out your stove manual if you have a glass top and the type of pressure canner that you're using to make sure that it's going to work. If you have an induction stove, you can't use a pressure canner on it. It's not going to work. So you can get a different type of burner. So you could get, I love actually to use, we have a Camp Chef stove that's on legs that uses propane and I create an outdoor kitchen when it gets really hot and do a lot of my canning out there. And so you can do something like that. I know people have used a propane burner on their gas grill and they will pressure can that way. So if you do have an induction type stove, or you have a glass top that you are not comfortable with using a pressure canner on, there are different burner options without putting an entire new stove in your kitchen that you can use to operate your pressure canner on. Now, of course, if you have a gas or electric stove, then you can use any type of pressure canner on there that you want. And I will say that in my opinion, if you think you're going to want the bigger pressure canner, meaning if you're looking at one that you can double stack in versus one that you can't double stack in and you've got the funds, go for the bigger one because you don't have to operate that one that you could double stack in. You can operate it with a single stack. You don't have to have double stacked all the time, but it gives you the option for those times when you do have that much produce or you are doing a recipe where you need to do that volume that you can do it. But then we always have to consider our budget as well. So there are definitely some models of pressure canners that aren't as expensive, but they get the job done just fine. So I go over all of that with exact models and stuff inside that blog post, which I'll link to, as I said, within this episode. And I also have it available as part of that free pressure canning series so that people can go through that if you're looking to purchase a pressure canner. Now, what about using older pressure canners or getting your pressure canner? Maybe you've had it for a while and you've been nervous and too scared to use it, which believe it or not is very, very normal. Please don't feel bad about that. I have a lot of people who've purchased a pressure canner and it sat for years before they ever used it. So it's totally normal. But if you have a pressure canner that only has the dial gauge that shows the pounds of pressure, so it doesn't have the weighted gauge that has 5, 10, or 15 and you put on the little vent pipe, but if it's only showing a dial gauge, then you need to get that tested and most county extension offices will do that for free. But you need to have that dial gauge tested once a year to ensure that it hasn't gotten broken and it's reading correctly at the correct pounds of pressure. Now, if you've got the weighted gauge or like my All-American canner, which you'll see in the video series, and I go over this a little bit in a lot more detail in the video with you can actually look at it and see it so you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've got the weighted gauge, you can always go by the weighted gauge only and ignore the dial because the weighted gauge is never going to read inaccurate. That's the beauty of a weighted gauge. But if you have the dial only, which there are models out there that only have the dial and that's what you're relying on, you gotta have it tested every year. And especially if it's an older one that maybe you purchased it used, you definitely wanna take it in and get that dial tested to make sure it's reading accurate pounds of pressure. Now, what about really older models of pressure canners? I get asked this a lot. So if you come across a super old pressure canner, maybe it was your grandma's and you know it's like 40 or 50 years old or even older, if it's a gasket type, you definitely want to make sure that you replace gaskets on older pressure canners or used pressure canners just to make sure that the rubber over time will kind of shrink up and get brittle 
and then it actually can't seal. It will allow some of the steam and the heat to release and it won't be able to seal correctly and build up to the correct pounds of pressure. So always replace those gaskets if you're buying them used or it's been a while and have they're fairly inexpensive. They're like 10 bucks usually or less and have a backup one on hand just in case. But if it's really old, you actually want to look on it and it should have a stamp on the bottom somewhere that says UL. And a lot of times it'll show it in parentheses. If it doesn't have that, it's probably too old to be operating as a pressure canner. And again, I will link in the show notes to this research and to the document that's talking about this from the National Center of Home Food Preservation, which is kind of here in the US, the place where the documentation and testing and all of that has been done. And it's considered one of the primary updated and go-to resources for safety and information regarding canning at home. Now, if you are doing multiple batches of canning a day with your pressure canner, how long does it take before you can get that pressure canner going again? And this is a great question. When you're operating your pressure canner, you need to let it, after your processing time is done, you turn off the heat, but you leave the pressure canner alone. You don't ever try to remove it before the pressure has reduced naturally, which means just cooling off and coming to room temperature until it's cooled off enough that it's not holding any pressure anymore. So with some pressure cooking, they will have you run it under cold water to do a fast release. Or like with the electric pressure cookers, they'll have you release the little button and it'll shoot the steam out the top. You don't ever do that with your pressure canner. So when you are pressure canning, you leave everything on it. You just turn off the heat and you let that bad boy reduce its pressure naturally. And then you carefully remove the lid. And I show some different tests so how you can tell that it's ready and safe to remove that lid. Because if you try to remove the lid when it's under pressure, one, most models have locks on them now so that you can't or that you'll know. But I also give you some other safeguards for easy ways for you to test to make sure the pressure is truly reduced all the way before you remove that lid. Because if you were to try to remove the lid when there was still pressure, that's going to cause force, right? And it could burn you or depending on how much pressure, you know, push it up with a lot of pressure and force. And then there's hot steam that's going to be coming out. So you want to make sure that pressure is reduced and you're removing the lid in the correct way, which is really easy. It's really easy steps once you know it. And I walk you through that in that whole series. But We let our pressure reduce naturally, and then we remove the lid. And then it's important that you wait 10 minutes with the lid off after the pressure has been reduced before you remove your jars to a folded towel on the counter to finish the cooling off process. The reason for this is because if you take a jar, well, it's twofold. One, siphoning, which is when you'll see that you followed the headspace and you always follow the headspace on canning. Never adjust the headspace from what the recipe says, okay? It's actually a pretty important part of the canning process, using the correct headspace. And if you don't know what headspace means, it's simply from the top of the liquid to the top of the jar, the space that's in between there. And it varies based on the recipe that you're canning. So jams and jellies are usually like a quarter inch, and then vegetables are usually an inch headspace. So it does vary. But you'll have siphoning, and that's when you'll see you followed the correct headspace, but when it's done canning, you notice there's a loss of liquid. So that's called siphoning, and it does happen. It's fairly normal. But letting those jars sit in the pressure canner with the lid off after pressure has been reduced for 10 minutes helps to reduce the amount of siphoning. The other reason we want to do this is we want to avoid any type of temperature shock with our glass where the jars could crack or break or shatter, that type of thing. So going from that super hot temperature to room temperature, give it that 10 minutes. And that's also why you always put your hot jars 
unfolded towel. Don't ever set them directly on a cold countertop. But that whole time, usually it takes for it to reduce its pressure naturally and then wait those 10 minutes and get it out, usually in about 45 minutes. If it's a smaller pressure canner, sometimes as little as 30 minutes and depending on the temperature of your house and all of that. But Generally, you're going to give yourself about an hour between the time that you have turned off the burner for a processing time until you can remove the jars and then put another set of jars in and get it going again. So you can definitely do multiple runs with your pressure canner within the same day and kind of back to back, but you have to have that barrier period of it releasing its pressure before you put the next run in. And usually it's about an hour's time is what you should guesstimate. Okay, guys. We are on to our verse of the week. Wrapping up, those are my pressure counter questions that I've been seeing coming through a lot lately. I wanted to answer for you. So now we're moving on to our verse of the week. And this week, we are in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 through 17. And this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. This is the agreement, testament, covenant, that I will set up and conclude with them after those days, says the Lord. I will imprint my laws upon their hearts, and I will inscribe them on their minds, on their inmost thoughts and understanding. He then goes on to say, and their sins and their law-breaking I will remember no more. And I love this for a couple of different reasons. One, who does not want to have all of the wrong things that they have done in their life and the bad things remembered no more? What a great gift of forgiveness that is. And such freedom comes with that because I don't know how many times I have sat and went over stupid things that I have done or said or when I acted out of anger or sometimes just pure thoughtlessness that has hurt somebody or been the wrong thing. And I don't know about you, but my thoughts can center around that and I can go over and over it and beat myself up. And of course, I think it's good to recognize when we have done something that caused someone else hurt or harm or even ourselves so that we can avoid doing that and learn from it. But there's a danger when we go over it too often and we can just dwell on that and think about how bad we are, the thing that it was that we did. That's not operating in freedom. And so this brings my heart great joy to know that the Lord is remembering it no more and he's not holding it against me. But the first part of this I love as well Because if God's laws are imprinted on my heart, inscribed in my mind, in my innermost thoughts and my understanding, then it governs everything that I do. And I don't mean that from the law of when we think of the Ten Commandments and when we think of all the things that are listed in the Old Testament. And I'm not saying that those aren't important and that you shouldn't obey those. That's not what I mean. But when I have God's truth and His laws and His word, in my heart, in my thoughts, imprinted upon my very being, then naturally my actions and my thoughts start to reflect and to walk and to go coincide with them, especially when it's through the love of Christ and a personal relationship with Him. Because when you love someone and you know that they love you and you are doing things out of love instead of a list of rules and things that you should or should not do, when it's done from a standpoint of love and knowing that those things are there because it's truly what's best for you and it's going to benefit you, it's so much easier to do so when it's done. Think about it like 
they're all things that we will do because we're supposed to. But when we love someone, we go way above and beyond out of love. And that's true of not only us and serving the Lord, but what he does for us. It's out of love. And when you look at that in that light, it's pretty amazing. So I hope my prayer for you and for myself is that we will have the Lord's laws imprinted upon our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our understandings, and that he and us will remember the bad things and the sins no more. Thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode of the podcast. I hope that I get to see you within the pressure canning series. And very shortly, I think by the next episode, I am going to have where you can register for the organic gardening workshop that's coming your way this October. So happy canning and happy gardening. And I will be back here with you next week. Mm -hmm.